I have a couple of announcements to make before we start this episode. The first is that it has a trigger warning, even though it is a holiday movie that is going to be reviewed in this episode. The trigger warning is for sexually explicit language and descriptions of scenes in the movie. The second announcement is that I am fully aware that the sound quality of this episode is total crap. And that has to do with the fact that I just moved to Tucson and for some reason the apartment that I live in just had the worst Wi-Fi in the future episodes you'll hear. Uh, it, it definitely gets a lot better. But this episode was just a, a big struggle for me. So I actually had to re-record parts of it and use a lot of effects to try and remedy some of the dropping out of voices and stuff. So I, I'm hoping you can get past that because I really, I didn't want to have to re-record this because I feel like the conversations that we had about Love Actually are just so juicy and I didn't want to lose any of those in or the energy in re-recording the whole entire episode. So so please bear with the sound quality issues. And that is all. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everyone. I want to welcome you to I Am My Passion Project's new segment called 50 Shades of Sexism. And guess what? I have a co-host, phenomenal photographer and empowerer of women, Darina Naray. Do you want to say hi, Darina? Hello, how are you? <laughs> And we are going to be looking at classic American movies through a feminist lens. Since the holidays are upon us, we decided to start with one of the new classics, Love Actually, and away we go. So um, actually, let's, let me step back a bit and let you know that this is the first episode we're doing of this new segment. So it's going to be probably a little bit rough as we figure things out, but um, hang in there because it should still be a fun ride because the movie we're tackling is just so multidimensionally layered with problems in the department of um, sexism. And um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to be tackling this. How, how about you? Oh, yeah. It's a banger of a first <laughs> movie to pull apart because OMG. It's going to be good. So, uh, I would like to say, hold on. It's a yeah. British film and you said we're tackling American films. Well, actually, it's American and British and French. Oh, really? Like they all work together to make this fabulous movie for, for us, for our enjoyment. Wow. That's At least that's great. what it says in uh, in Wikipedia. Um, so this movie was out in 2003. 20 years ago. And yeah, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute, as some folks say. Yeah. So I was thinking that we could first maybe talk about, because since we're applying a feminist lens to the movies, that we could each share what feminism means to us do you want to start do you have a definition or yeah I mean it kind of ch yeah it changes day by day right I mean feminism 
in the 60s or 70s doesn't look like feminism today. You know, it's ever evolving. But for me, like, can't we just take humans on a case by case basis based on that they are a human being and not be concerned with status or genitalia or whatever, but that humans are humans. And I think it's along those lines. I ha- I didn't really write anything down about because it's like this ever evolving, yeah. ever, ever multidimensional thing about it. It's just equality that we are human beings and we should all have the same opportunities, the same chances, the same education, the same right it's to about navigate gender the equality. Planet. You know, we have the right to navigate right. the planet like anybody else. And, and, <laughs> you know, it, it uh, you know, like, like I said, it's different from the 60s or 70s because now it's like, you know, trans women are women and non-binary people are people and also deserve equality. So it's like, there's this a whole bunch of other stuff about it's just equality and I get egalitarianism mm-hmm. that like, I just, especially when it comes to aptitudes, like I have an aptitude for being a photographer. So, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that as a woman 50 years ago and have a career as a photographer. <laughs> you know, whatever people's aptitudes are in life to, they, they should just be able to do it, period. You know, this person's made to be a plumber. This person's made to be a politician, whatever it is. I don't, it's like gender shouldn't matter. Yeah. That's what it is for me. Just, I am made to do this. I can do this, period. <laughs> period. End of story. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> today. For today. <laughs> right, for today. So, my situation is that I, for a long period of my life, would not have called myself a feminist. So it didn't really happen for me that I even thought of myself as a feminist until after I discovered that my husband had betrayed me of, you know, 21 years. So I was 52. It was almost like my eyes opened all of a sudden to everything. I mean, I knew some stuff before. I knew about sexism and um, I knew about media. I mean, I, I went to art school, so I knew about the, like the Gorilla Girls and how a lot of, uh, there were a lot of inequalities in the workforce and also in, in different creative avenues, like the arts and music and stuff where women just were being treated the same. Um, but so now, like through some more education about all, like, all of the different levels of sexism that's out there, and you know, as you were mentioning, time goes on and we become more aware of giving validation to different genders and, and like understanding that a little bit more has caused me to even expand my level of understanding. I feel like if I were to try to categorize myself, I would probably still be like a second wave feminist and like a radical feminist. And here's a definition that I found for radical feminism. So radical feminism is perspective within feminism that calls for a radical reordering of society in which male supremacy is eliminated in all social and economic contexts, while recognizing that women's experiences are also affected by other social divisions, such as in race, class, and sexual orientation. I really feel like the patriarchy is still trying to crush us. And one of the things that I've been 
trying to do with this podcast and other articles that I've started writing is try and just to bring more awareness to the stuff that's still going on in our world. The world is created by men for men. That's that's my belief and my interpretation of of feminism. Oh yeah. So that's how we are gonna be looking at the movies and doing our critiques of these movies and in doing the critiques we have some other ways we're going to be looking at them so we have some criteria do you want to talk about the the Bechdel test yeah so the Bechdel test came about it's also known as the Bechdel Wallace test and that's B-E-C-H-D-E-L, if you would like to Google about that. It's a measure of the representation of women in film and other fiction. So the test asks whether a work features at least two female characters who have a conversation about something other than a man. And when you think about all the movies in the world, it there's not very many <laughs> that pass even this first point. It also requires that the two female characters be named characters. I honestly feel like this is such a low bar. For sure it is, but it's, it is. <laughs> it's a start. Like 90% of films, the if there are women who have a conversation, it's about men. Yep. And how am I going to marry a man? And how am I going to get this guy? And who wants to date this guy? And I'm going to, I want to, you know, like I need this guy's attention instead of, hey, let's go save the world. <laughs> right. Or ideas, just concepts that they're trying to struggle through. When we are looking at these movies through a feminist lens, through our separate feminist lenses, we are going to be looking at the movies using some special criteria to decide if we think that they are sexist and what, to what level we think the movie is sexist. Our criteria includes the male gaze, objectification, naked women versus men, microaggressions, gender stereotypes, mansplaining, male-dominated screen time, woman as backdrop, sexist pet name usage like baby doll, sweetie, honey, sugar, age discrepancy, so there's like an older man, a much, much older man and a younger woman, power inequality, poor women's dialogue, as in not a poor woman as she doesn't have funds, but the use of dialogue that just doesn't make any sense. A woman wouldn't say it. And it's also just in potentially in support of a male character. Unnecessary romance, normalized abuse of women. So this is where a woman is being portrayed being raped, beaten, etc., where the men typically get away with it. And in addition to that criteria, Darina and I each have some kind of special interest lenses that we're going to be looking at these movies through. And so for me, it's betrayal, trauma, healing, triggers. And this is for all of the women out there who have been betrayed by their husband, who is a current, possibly currently a sex and porn addict, or hopefully in the process of recovery from being a sex and porn addict. This type of content can be really painful for us and throw us back into the past of when our partner was actually doing acting out behaviors. 
women, you deserve to feel safe when you are settling down to watch something entertaining. So I'm going to be letting you know when I watch a movie that I find triggering or think that other women who've been betrayed might find triggering. So if I find scenes in a movie where there is nudity, there's abuse of women, yelling at women, or strip clubs, or mentions of pornography, or if there's any kind of rape scene or anything that I find traumatizing as a betrayed woman myself and think that it might be traumatizing for you too, I will bring it up at the end of our review so you can make the decision if you want to watch this either by yourself or with your partner. Dorina, did you have something that you wanted to add as far as a special interest? Just, you know, are are the people fully, you know, human? Are human beings actually being portrayed as full human beings, <laughs> regardless of gender? All the whole spectrum of what a human is, like, are, are they full? Because, yeah. you know, from a feminist lens, when we look at movies like this, and especially Love Actually, the women aren't whole women. Right. They're one-dimensional characters. They're not whole people. There, a lot of them are ornamentation. Mm -hmm. And we will definitely be digging into the ornamentation in this movie. So with those things in mind, I think we should give a synopsis of the movie. So this is from Wikipedia. Love Actually is a 2003 Christmas romantic comedy. That's what they're calling it. Film written and directed by Richard Curtis. It features an ensemble cast composed predominantly of British actors, many of whom had worked with Curtis in previous films and television projects. The film is mostly located in London. I guess this is more about the screenplay. It delves into different aspects of love as shown through 10 separate stories involving a variety of individuals, many of whom are shown to be interlinked as the plot progresses. The story begins five weeks before Christmas and is played out in a weekly countdown until the holiday, followed by an epilogue that takes place one month later. So there we go. And it is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> because there are so many stories going on simultaneously. And I read one review that said that he actually cut some stories out of this. Like there were actually more stories that he was wow. going to include. <laughs> and I know, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and one of the criticisms was that it's just as it is, it's still too many. And yeah. some of them aren't really even that necessary. To oh, get there's the yeah. point across. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially because <sighs> some of them, a lot of them are connected in some way. They're, they're not just like random people. Like right. some of them are connected. Like, right. They're all connected. And, you know, most people have seen this movie. I think most people have seen this movie. Right. But these are all the people. These are the big, I mean, okay. So I found this movie to be incredibly problematic in so many different areas. And when I see a movie like this, I'm always surprised when I look at the cast and I see that they are huge names. So, for example, you know, the stars of this movie are Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, Colin Firth, Laura Linney, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Kira Knightley, Martine McCutcheon, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that name. Bill Nye and Ron Atkinson, right? Like the, it's a, an ensemble cast in a movie that is just so offensive. <laughs> and so I always wonder, like, first of all, how do they even 
talk these people into doing this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, you, you have to remember at the they... time, the times have changed. I mean, this was so normal that you ate and breathed this bullshit all the time where yes. and people weren't thinking in these terms. They really weren't. I mean, I'm 58. I was around you know when that movie came out and it was like there was some stuff that i was like what the heck but not the way i see it now things have changed definitely things things have changed and that's been like one of the people who have criticized it have said well you know this was before the me too movement and yada 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 and i i get that but some of the themes in here around male control and power positions Mm -hmm. this was already after the clinton situation oh no i agree i agree and so we we already as a culture have had a discussion about monica Lewinsky and bill clinton and how that was inappropriate use of power and here we are it's in a rom-com and it wasn't even just the role of Hugh Grant, who is in the power position coming on to his staff member. It was also the U.S. president, who is his, ends up being his guest, coming on to somebody. It's so prevalent in this movie. All of these men in power positions with all of the women that are workers underneath them. And we're supposed to find it to be charming mm-hmm. and think that it's a love story. There isn't even just a power play in like the term of work. It's also, you know, money. These men have tons of money. And one of the characters is traveling to go chase after this woman who was his housekeeper. He goes back to France to find her and she's a waitress. And like, we're supposed to believe there's some romance going on there and that she really is attracted to this older guy who's like a lot of the age differences here are more than 10 years between older man and the younger woman so the power play is just supposed to be so accepted and that's one of the main problems for me totally and you're talking about the colin firth character who goes to france a portuguese young woman comes to take care of the home while he's writing and they don't even speak the same language ever yeah so how is he falling in love with her apparently it's just like oh colin firth is just so irresistible that of course you know it's like written by men it's like male fantasy stuff exactly because every single woman in this movie is subordinate and on a lower level than every single man in the movie yep they're either ornamental or, well, the yeah. most offensive is what's his name? Colin, who flies to America to get laid. His whole plot line is going to America to get laid. Oh my God. Yeah. So let's <laughs> just talk about what that situation is. So Colin has a friend who works on the porn set. And so Colin decides that um, he is not seen as attractive in England and he decides if he goes to America if he has his accent that the women will just fall all over him and they do and you know what they do 
They do because he's so charming with his accent and he ends up having a tryst with not only three women, but four women who are traditionally incredibly attractive. Mm -hmm. And the way they present themselves to him are like presence like he meets two of the girls in a bar and the first one is like oh what kind of accent is that are you british and you know i'm like are you kidding me really and then she's like oh my my hot friend is going to come over here oh and then our other really hot friend is going to be joining us too and it's totally like and we only have one bed <laughs> a man's wet dream we only have and that whole dialogue who wrote that except for somebody who is a misogynistic adolescent that thinks that love can be found in the pages of porn magazines i think or just perma adolescence it's like you know stunted growth you know some man with stunted emotional growth because let me tell you a woman is not going to write a script like that like where why what would even be the point of that that's one of the stories that's one of the stories right i mean he comes back that's his only story that's his only story his only story story is good enough to be in he's led by his penis (laughs) through the whole movie Mm -hmm. that's his only goal is to get laid by tons of attractive women and then he comes back with one of them and is like oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) i did it I score. I went to America and I scored because women in the U.S. This is what it's saying. Women in the U.S. are just stupid yep. and easy. And when he comes back with her, she looks like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. She's wearing a cowboy hat. Yep. She's got an accent. She's wearing hardly anything. And so the message there is that women in the U.S. are uh, not intelligent enough to. <laughs> see that this guy to realize is this a guy is jerk. like uber <laughs> and and that we're all just uh we all want sex as much as he does and are willing to just have sex with whoever it is and that's her only purpose in life according to this movie is to provide sex for him yeah all of them there's no other right. substance or importance in who she is other than pretty and we'll sleep with him that's it that's the criteria yeah and so the dialogue really lays itself out like a porn movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're so hot. Oh, here's my other hot yeah. friend. And our super hot one is back at the apartment. And then you actually see from the ground up the the shadows in the window of him, yep. like getting together with all of the women. Yeah. It's pathetic and yeah. very traumatizing. So that's one of the things where I would tell other women who are going through betrayal trauma, this is not the movie for you. And definitely don't see it with your partner because that scene in itself is going to be triggering. So let's move on to another um, one of the stories. Who should we look at next? Well, you talk about husbands. I watched this with my husband and the storyline with Kira Knightley, who is newly married and... Her husband's oh, yes. best yep, friend yep. is pining for her in a oh, bad way. God. We do not know why, because we don't have to know anything about Kira Knightley, except that she's very pretty. And she goes to see the wedding videos that he, this guy, what's his name? 
uh, he was in Walking Dead, <laughs> you know, goes to see the videos. Oh, I look so pretty in my videos. And he's just like fawning all over her. We do not know why he loves her. We do not know anything about her except that she's very beautiful and blonde. Right. She's but beautiful. My husband was very offended when, you know, he's like, you know, the famous scene where he goes to her house and he has got the, the cue cards, you know, and like, don't say who it is. And here's, he does this message through the, the cue cards. And he's like, he was so offended that anybody would do this to their best friend. This is his best friend's wife. And he, he was just so grossed out that you know anybody would would do this and that this is this is supposed to be some loving you know pinnacle of the movie kind of thing and it's like it's just it's awful it is it is a ridiculous thing that to think that that's charming in any way shape or form because before we started talking about this movie we were talking about another movie where i was talking about lying and how lying can be problematic in so many different ways and when and it really is making a mockery out of a relationship and a fool out of the person who is being lied to that's definitely what's happening with that relationship is his friend is being lied to and not only by him but by Kira Knightley too yeah she's like oh it's carol singers and then she kisses him I see nothing charming in that interaction at all and another thing that was pointed out in another critique that I read of this movie was that at the end of his no cards he writes how how she's perfect mm-hmm. yeah and what does that even mean because for the viewer she has she's a one-dimensional character we know nothing about her except that she is young she's attractive she is marrying a black man one of the few black characters in the movie and that's it that's all we know about her and apparently she's supposed to be attracted to him or something or like surprised but like charmed by the fact that he would come to her door and do Mm -hmm. this cards thing with i mean it was just ridiculous i also read that originally when this movie came out that it was seen as problematic because Kira Knightley was only 18 when she was cast for that role. Yeah. She was 18. And those guys have got to be pushing 30, right? Yeah. Yeah. So both of her love interests were, they, well, I think one of them was like eight years older than her and the other one was more than that. And that mm-hmm. is one of the common things in this movie too. Well, she is eye candy. She is ornamental in the film. And this is what, you know, me with my work about male gaze and beauty standards, because she's supposed to be the ideal, you know, she's like, she conforms to all beauty standard. Right. Which is, you know, 1% of humanity. And, and and so it's like and she's 18 so the most ornamental the most beautiful the most sought yeah. after woman in this movie is an 18 year old who weighs you know 110 pounds you're supposed to just yeah. understand that and 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 swallow it and be like yep so the beauty stereotype is young like 18 years old white mm-hmm. and thin yeah plus you no. add long hair yeah and, blonde and, and just no cellulite <laughs> and 
and sweet and charming, like not having like really any opinions of her own, not pushing back in any way. Totally. That's like the total misogynistic yeah. wet dream right there. It's the patriarchal beauty standard crap. I yeah. mean, I just, it's just crap. I'm just so over it. Okay, so we're going to stop right there because we realized that there's just so much content in the movie Love Actually that we had to tackle that our episode ended up being crazy long. So we're going to stop here. And if you want to continue, you can tune into the next episode where we start off exactly where we left off.